0: So there was a young man who was working in his office one day and his boss came in and asked him a strange yet profound question. Here was the question, do you believe in life everlasting? And the man said, yes I do. And his boss responded, well I'm glad to hear that because after you left early for your grandmother's funeral yesterday. Your grandmother showed up here to spend some time with you. Whoops. <laughs> but it's a question that I want you to think about with me today. Do you believe in life everlasting? And if you do, how does it change the way you live today? How does it change the way that you make... Whoa. Is that just me did you hear that oh am I good now okay I'm glad you heard it too that made me nervous but what does it mean for you as you live your life does it make a difference it should make a difference and if it does what is that difference that it makes so this morning, what I want to do is we continue our series called, I Believe. In this summer series, we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. And each line really begins with the words, I believe. And today, we're looking at the very last line of the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in the life everlasting. Now, as we do that, even though we're, we're ending what we see in the Apostles' Creed, in all the statements that we've looked at this summer. Beginning next week, over the next three to four weeks, we're gonna be looking at what it is in a a deeper, more profound way that we believe about the Holy Spirit. Because I think for most of us, the third person of the Trinity, first person, the Father, second, the Son, the third, the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity confuses us we don't fully understand and fully grasp what it means when we say we believe in the holy spirit so beginning next week we're going to look a little more deeply as a as a church at who the holy spirit is and what the holy spirit's role is in our lives and how we can partner with the work of the spirit to not only be transformed but to transform the world And so this morning, let's look at what it means when we say, I believe in the life everlasting. And so this morning, we want to look at this first statement. It says, all people, all people who have ever lived, whoever will live, will experience life everlasting. Now, you might think, oh, I already knew that. But actually, there's a large um, segment of people in the Christian faith who don't believe that. What they believe is that Christians, when we die, we go to be with the Lord. Our soul goes to be with the Lord. When Jesus returns, our body will be, will be brought together with our soul. We all agree, we agree on that. But what they believe for nonbelievers is that their soul is exterminated, their soul is extinguished. But that is not does not really square well with what the Bible teaches. I do not believe in soul annihilation. What I believe is that all people will experience everlasting life. Now I'm going to describe this in just a moment. But let's look at this verse in Matthew 25. Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching about he kind of uses an illustration, but it's it's not a parable. It's a teaching. And what Jesus is doing is, he talks about how at the end time, when Jesus returns, he will divide people into, into sheep and into goats. The goats go to the left. Your right, here we go. Your left. The goats go to the left, the sheep to the right. The sheep are those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the goats are those who are not living a life that is inspired and driven and empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He's talking about the goats. He says, then they will go away to eternal punishment. He doesn't say that their souls are annihilated. He doesn't say that they go to sleep and never awaken. He says that they go to eternal punishment which is separation from God for an eternity. But the righteous, now you know that we're not made righteous by our own efforts and our own actions, but we are made righteous by faith in what Jesus has done for us. We will go to eternal life. In a moment, we're going to define what that means. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches about heaven. But I want you to hear this. All people, all of us, Will experience life everlasting. Now, as I just mentioned, for Christians, heaven is a place where God most fully makes known his presence to bless his people. It is heaven is the place where God reveals himself most fully to us, and in our righteous, perfectly righteous state in Jesus Christ, in heaven, we will experience and encounter God in a way we never could in this lifetime. And so we experience him, and he makes known himself to us, and in that comes deep, profound blessing, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But for non believers, those who reject Jesus, hell is a real place. The Bible, Jesus, assumes that we understand that heaven and hell are real places. Now, in some churches today, and certainly in popular cultural Christianity today, you will hear that there is no hell. What you will hear is love wins, and everybody gets to be with God. That is not what Jesus said. It's not what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. For non-Christians, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment. Awareness. They're alive. There's awareness. Eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Now, we're all wicked, but we who believe in Jesus have been made righteous through our faith in Christ by what Christ has done for us on the cross. Now, friends, why do I share this? One of the deep, profound elements of the DNA of this church from the very first day it was founded is the understanding that everybody needs Jesus. We believe that profoundly as a church. And so our desire as a church is that we would be ambassadors and witnesses for Jesus using the opportunities, the doors that God opens to have conversations with our neighbors, with our family members, with our relatives, with, with the people we work with, with the people we go to school with, that each and every one of us would be a witness for Jesus. And this is why we do that as a church. I remember there's a very, um, there's a very uh, famous um, a magician, I guess you call him, who um, does a lot of uh, uh, lot of events in Las Vegas, and he does not believe he does not believe in God, and yet one day a very bold Christian after the service spoke with him and very respectfully, very respect respectfully, told him about Jesus and shared his faith with him. And afterward, he did a podcast where he said, now, some of you may think, as an atheist, I would be offended by that. He said, I'm not offended by that. I am blessed by that. Here's why. He said, how much, if this guy believes that there's a real heaven and a real hell, how much would he have to hate me to not be willing to tell me what he believes? That was really empowering to me. And what we try to do as a church is look for organic opportunities to tell people about Jesus because we believe that life is everlasting for all people. And we believe there's a real heaven and a real hell. And I want all people that come across the path of my life to know about Jesus and to have an opportunity to make a decision about him. Friends, we believe that as a church and I hope that you believe that as a Christian. I hope that if you have someone or someone who, who believes in Jesus, that you understand this reality, and that it moves you and inspires you and impacts you to be one who shares your faith. Here's a second thing that, I, um, well, I want you to see as we talk about life everlasting. If we who believe are going to heaven, what is heaven? Now, there's a lot of confusion about heaven because God doesn't say much about it. And there's a great passage, there's a wonderful passage that that talks about the great truth that what God has in store for us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind can comprehend. Friends, God doesn't teach us a lot about heaven, I believe, because we don't have the capacity to understand. It's beyond our ability to comprehend. Now, he gives us little pictures, a little photo here, a little photo there, so that we have a little picture of what it is, but it's far greater than anything we've ever imagined. And so as we talk about heaven, here's a couple things I want you to see that the Bible teaches. I'm not saying everything about heaven that the Bible teaches, but just a couple things that are important. Number one, heaven is measured in terms of relational quality and not length of time. Now most of us, when we think of eternal life, we think of life that goes on and on and on and on and never ends. Now that could be good or that could be bad. I've been with people in the last moments of their life who are in great pain, and all they want to do is to go be with Jesus. That's it. They want to die. They're done. They're spent. And the idea of, of living forever in their circumstance, that's not something that they want. So when we talk about living forever, God defines it in relation to relationships, Friends, your deepest need and your deepest struggle is relational. Relationship with God, as we see in Genesis 3. Relationship within yourself, as we see in Genesis chapter 3. And relationship with each other, as we see in Genesis chapter 3. That is our most profound desire is to be right relationally. Our most Profound problem is that we are not right relationally. We struggle with relationships. And so when Jesus defines eternal life, he defines it in terms of relationship. Listen to what he says. This is absolutely profound. In fact, I want to pick it up in John chapter, uh, verse one of chapter 17. Listen to this. And then the, the third verse is the one you see on the screen. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Speaking of himself, Jesus said to the Father, for you granted him himself authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those that you, O God, the Father, have given to him. And then he says this. Now this is eternal life. Jesus defines it for us. Now this is eternal life, that you may know the Father, and you may know the Son whom he sent. How does Jesus define eternal life? He doesn't define it in terms of living forever. He defines it in light of why it's exciting and amazing that we're going to live forever. That we will know God as we've never known him before. We will know the son as we've never known him before. And friends, that began the moment you chose to believe. God wants to reveal himself to you in relationship. Now, if you have your own Bibles, underline the word to know. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of love. Deep, profound love. It's a word that describes the greatest depth of relationship that we could ever experience. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his love, to know his peace, to know his joy, to know him in our lives now, but in a more, even more profound way when our eyes are fully open, when we are with him for an eternity relationships with one another will be open as they were in the Garden of Eden before the fall. There will be no more running. There will be no more hiding. There will be no more brokenness in relationship because it begins with our relationship with God and spreads into our relationships with one another. Friends, that is an incredible picture. The intimacy that you were created for, you will have. And it begins now. Eternal life begins the moment you make the decision to believe in Jesus Christ and to trust him in your life and to walk with him in faithfulness. Friends, this is why I get excited about heaven. We go on and we see that heaven, God will renew all of creation. And we get to live in it. Now, this is another another one where there's a lot of debate about whether God is going to destroy the heavens and the earth when Jesus returns or whether he's going to make it new again, whether he's going to renew it. I believe that God is going to renew the heavens and the earth. Reformed theology, we believe that God is going to make it new again as God intended it to be. He's not going to destroy it. He's going to make it new again. And, and, and there is de- more debate on this one point, but I want you to, I want you to hear, and I'm going to read this, this passage in Romans, but I want you to hear and follow along with me. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Okay. Okay. He's talking about heaven, the glory that will be revealed in us, the suffering that you're going through today, whatever suffering that is, pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us when we go to be with the Lord. Verse 19, for the creation, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration. Creation, when the Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, all that God made was impacted. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, it was our choice. But by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. What an amazing picture. God is going to restore everything. There will be peace between us and all that God has created. No more Shark Week uh, on the Discovery Channel. Because we'll be swimming with them like dolphins. No more running from grizzly bears like an alone. Because God, there will be peace among all that God has created. No more smog. No more dependent, no matter what you believe about this, but no more climate change. All of it, all of it dealt with. All of it resolved. No more poisoned rivers. No more... No more you feel trash dumped into the ocean. All of it restored and renewed. I think that's pretty cool. I love what God has made, and we get to be a part of that. We get to live in that. And then the new creation will be a place of great beauty. It will be a place of great abundance, of great joy in the presence of God. Oh, wow. That's going to be so incredible. Listen to what we read here in Revelation. This is a passage I often read when I'm at a gravesite. Listen to this promise. John writes, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. This has been a phrase repeated from all the way from Genesis to Revelation. It is the heart of God. I will be your God and you will be my people. Over and over and over again, we read that phrase until God fulfills it by sending his son to us, so now we're made righteous by what? By faith and what God has done for us in Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit. God now dwells with his people, but this is something we can't even imagine. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. Man, no more tears, no more mourning. No more grieving. No more death. No more sickness. There will be joy and abundance as there was in the Garden of Eden. Every need met. I believe in the life everlasting. Friends, that's what I'm saying when I utter those words. Therefore, what does it mean for us? If I believe this, what does it mean for me as I live life? What's the so what of I believe in life everlasting? How does it affect how I live each day? Well, I, because I believe this, I want to live each day in light of this reality. My home is with Christ. My home is not this world as it is. I believe that I belong to him. And so I want to live each moment of every day in light of this reality that this is just a place I live now but this isn't where I ultimately belong. And so it means that I want to make decisions in light of the reality that I will be part of heaven forevermore. That that's my home. Listen to what it says in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Past tense, this has already happened. The moment you believe, you were raised with Christ. Therefore, set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, past tense, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, the return of Jesus, when our bodies and our souls will come together again, then you will also appear with him in glory. Wow, that's the promise. So what does Paul say? Keep your eyes focused on that. Keep your mind focused on that. Keep your hearts focused on that. You know, in light of eternity, in light of everlasting life, your life on earth and my life on earth, that's it. So why would we invest everything we have in this and not invest in eternity? Jesus says, why do you build up treasures for yourself on earth rather than treasures in heaven? Why would you live that way? It doesn't make sense if we really believe in the life everlasting. Last month, um, early June, I took a trip to Michigan for a week to be part of a uh, conference, a big church conference. Get this. When I flew, all I flew with was one bag that I carried onto the plane. That was it. I didn't bring my recliner with me. I left it here. I didn't bring my car with me. I left it here. I flew. I went with just a little bag. Now, why did I go with just a little bag? What did I know? I don't live in Michigan anymore. I knew that I'm coming back home. And so I didn't bring everything I have, I packed light. Why would I pack a bunch of stuff? And when I was there, I didn't buy a car. I didn't buy a house, why didn't I do that? Because I know this is my life, this is my life. In California, I'm not saying don't buy a house, don't buy a car, you know what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. If you don't know what I'm saying, let me tell you what I'm saying. (laughs) Stop him. Here's what I'm saying. We know that it wouldn't make sense to invest all this stuff. We make decisions in light when we travel that the place we're traveling to is not our home. But yet we live our lives as if this world as it is today is our eternal home. It's not. We need to make decisions in light of the reality that we're going home again. There's a great story that some of you have heard before, and um, I've heard it told in many different ways, but uh, I try, I've tried to get to the original story. You know how stories change. Here's the story. story about an elderly missionary couple that had spent all of their adult years together serving the Lord in a very difficult area of Africa. They lived in poverty, their entire adult lives. Because of sickness, they knew that they couldn't continue, and so they're retiring, coming back to the United States. This was back in the 1920s at some point, 1930s. And so they got on a ship to sail back to the United States from Africa. Getting on the ship with them was former President Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt had been in Africa to do big-game hunting. And so he gets on the ship, and everybody, everybody pays attention to him. The crew are falling over themselves to serve the great Teddy Roosevelt, and nobody pays attention to this missionary couple. They land in New York Harbor. And as they land, there's this, there are bands playing there's, there are dignitaries there. There are speeches. All welcome, welcoming the former president, Teddy Roosevelt. This missionary couple is watching all of this, has seen all of it. And finally, the husband has had enough, and he, and he just bursts out. This isn't right. This isn't fair. I've spent my entire life serving the Lord living in poverty, and we come and there's not nobody here to welcome us. They have to get a taxi to take them to a very inexpensive apartment where they'll live out the rest of their lives. He gets home and he slams the door to the bedroom and he's just so upset. And his wife comes to him and says, Honey, you're making a, a mistake. She said, you're not home yet. We're not home yet. This isn't our home. Can you imagine the celebration when we go to be with the Lord? After sacrificing and living in light of eternity, can you imagine the celebration? I love that story. I'm not home yet. And you know, friends, sometimes I have to remind myself of that reality. I want to close with this story. Anybody ever read the Chronicles of Narnia? I think when I, was, uh, uh, when I first came to Jesus, that was one of the first set of books I read as a Christian. That was not the Bible. And I'll never forget the very last book, the very last book in the series. I want to read to you the very last page. The children have come ba- had come back to Narnia, and they're complaining that they don't want to leave Narnia. They don't want to go back to the world. Narnia is this place that represents, it's, it's a made-up place, but they go into it in it, and it's a, it becomes a real place. And, it's, uh, and Jesus in that world is Aslan, who's a lion. And I want you to hear. Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, looks at the children in the last page of all the Chronicles, "'You do not yet look as happy as I mean you to be,' said Aslan. Lucy, one of the children, said, "'Oh, Aslan, we're so afraid of being sent away again, "'and you have sent us back into our own world so often.' "'No fear of that,' said Aslan. "'Have you not guessed?' Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. And Aslan said softly, "'There was a real railway accident.' Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it, in the shadow lands, which is our world, you're dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is mourning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them all. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived half, happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narni had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Friends, that is the life everlasting when we go to be with Him. Live in light of that reality. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank You. We thank You for the blessings of Your truth. Lord, we were created to live forever, all of us. And Lord, it's our prayer that every person who hears this truth today who has never made a decision for Jesus, will choose to follow Jesus today, to love Jesus today, to trust in his sacrifice today. And now, Lord, as we come to the table, to your table, the table you invited us to take from, to drink from, to eat from, Lord, would you minister to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.